It's time for Off the Curve with Justin Spiro. Oh, welcome to Off the Curb with Justin Spiro, the first iteration of this. Uh, happy to have you. We still have a disaster of a studio in the basement. It's an active construction zone. We're bringing you the sort of short form solo version of this show uh, in my library. Here we are. So welcome. And, uh, you know, we have a lot to get to in a short period of time. And I want to talk about A.J. Hinch and I want to talk about uh, the Tigers and what's going on there. We have a special guest joining us in a minute. But obviously, um, most people know by now the news that happened with Dwayne Haskins. Um, it's one of the saddest things I can remember, like in recent time, that was also sort of random. It wasn't a, a death that we were uh, expecting or, or uh, knew was coming. You know, certain people that pass when they're older, it can hit you differently. Uh, this is just, uh, just sucks. And I, I think we had to mention that uh, just being the big story that it is. Uh, you know, he's a standout quarterback at Ohio State, tortured teams in the Big Ten for uh, a stretch there about a year and a half. Uh, ended up in Washington, now with Pittsburgh. Uh, this news broke just a couple hours ago. Uh, it, it, it's it's definitely rocked us and rocked our prep a little bit. It got me thinking today, the, the death of a young person is always tragic. I think that's sort of a given. Anybody whose life is cut short, well short of the average life expectancy, uh, it's inherently tragic. But that aside, even this one particularly sucks. Because and maybe it's just me. I have sort of a soft spot in general for not just somebody young, but somebody who was in the midst of some form of revival. Uh, there's something particularly uh, jarring, upsetting about something like this happening when it's somebody who was in the midst of uh, you know some type of uh, growth or uh, progression in their life. So it's um, this one's tough. Uh, obviously, you know, there's more extreme examples than what Haskins went through in Washington with his trials and tribulations there. But, you yeah, know, this is something that always hits me. There's something about a, a revival being derailed uh, that it is its own category of tragic. And uh, honestly, we see this in fiction. Uh, you know, most people's top 10 favorite movie list includes The Shawshank Redemption, certainly mine. And, you know, there's a character, Tommy, in that uh, was a a convict, uh, nonviolent crimes like theft and things of that nature, and uh, was sort of a, a troubled youth and a guy in his early mid twenties, and had really lost his way and didn't you know hurt anybody necessarily, but was uh, constantly running afoul of the law and was off the the good path, so to speak. And you know, Andy takes him in and is training him for his GED. It takes him under his wing and really rehabilitated this guy, and then he ends up, I mean, spoiler alert, getting gunned down. For no reason, really. I mean, obviously didn't do anything to deserve that. And uh, that was a character I always really uh, cared about was Tommy and Shawshank Redemption. You know, there's something so tragic about the guys on, on the come, he's on the upswing, and then boom, you're cut down. And uh, that's obviously a, a fictitious example. We see it in the real world, too. A lot of you may not know, but uh, there's a guy named Ryan Donnelly who was a, a pretty – a uh, ravaged drug addict in New Jersey, uh, had uh, addictions to myriad drugs and was on the verge of death uh, on a couple occasions. And he got out of it and became a life coach and uh, training people in addiction for free and had all these free resources out there. And he would give out a cell phone number. He had hundreds of people that he was helping through addiction for no cost at all. It just felt like he owed that to humanity. And he ended up dying about a year or two ago uh, of completely unrelated to drugs. He didn't have a relapse. He had a, a rare disease that took him out. A young guy, he was, I think, 34, wife and kids. This is a guy who was on the revival path. Now, these are extreme examples, obviously. Dwayne Haskins wasn't a convict, was not a recovering drug, drug addict. I don't mean to equate him in that way. But those instances where somebody is like was down in some way, in some form or another, and then made steps to better themselves or improve, and they're on the upswing. Their trajectory is up, and then it's cut short abruptly. In the Shawshank example, and the Ryan Donnelly example, and this Dwayne Haskins example, it's it's particularly jarring for me. I don't know if that's just me, but the fact that this guy had gone through a lot and was dragged through the mud the last couple of years and seemed to have righted the ship in his career just makes this timing all the more brutal. Not that it wouldn't have been anyway, but it's particularly so given the, the background here. And, uh, you know, we see these rising phoenixes, if you will, uh, shot down 
it's just, it just sucks. I mean, there's no, there's no words to even really cover it. And, you know, I think if you just go back to his release and how far he's come since then, I mean, we can pull up, he, he had a tweet pretty famous at the time. It was making the media rounds when the Washington football team had released him. So we'll throw that up there. Just take a look at that and what he was going through. Quote, my time with the Washington football team has unfortunately come to an end. I thank the team and fans for the opportunity to play for the team I grew up rooting for. I take full responsibility for not meeting the standards of an NFL quarterback and will become a better man and player because of this experience. So uh, owned it right away. I mean, that's probably my biggest thing because we all screw up. We all fuck up all the time. Uh, This guy did not handle his, his situation in Washington well. He came right out the day he was released. He didn't need therapy sessions. He didn't need to do uh, this long walk on some uh, path somewhere. The day that it happened, he owned up to it, publicly admitted that he had to to do better. And by all accounts, he was doing better. You fast forward a couple of years to just the past, uh, a couple months ago in January, this was a quote uh, quote from Dwayne Haskins talking about his future in the NFL, how he was trying to rehabilitate his career. Quote, I definitely feel like I can be a starter in this league. I got drafted for that reason, and I believe I can play with the best of them. I just haven't put it all together yet, and I know I have to do that if I want to play. That was Dwayne Haskins, uh, January 21st of this year, which is just tragic. And where was he when he died? In Florida, training with his teammates, trying to get better, and was committed to doing better. And if you read anything out of Pittsburgh, I know a really good reporter in Pittsburgh, uh, Josh Oey from The Athletic, they all love the guy. He was a model citizen, and this would have been tragic either way, but the fact that you had a guy that had erred so publicly in his career and had been, uh, you know, by his own admission, humiliated by his own actions and immaturity at that time, the fact that it ended now for him, it just stings a little bit extra. It just does, and um, it was pretty clear in both life and in his career, the best was yet to come for Dwayne Haskins, and that was taken from us today. That is something we lost today. And that is uh, something that while our loss and seeing that sucks, nothing is worse than what happened to this poor guy. 24 years old, he lost his life and he lost uh, not only years on the calendar, uh, 50, 60 years on the calendar, but he lost the chance to rewrite his story or complete the rewriting of his story. So uh, we just wanted to address that up front. Our thoughts and and prayers are with him and his uh, family. We hope he rests in peace and it just, it sucks. So, um, you know, best wishes to his family. This is a, a time I can't even imagine. So uh, that out of the way, uh, you know, we're going to move on to something a little bit happier, uh, a lot happier for me. Uh, we don't have the Spiro Avenue show for another month or so. Knock on wood, it's, it's done soon with our war zone construction. But we are bringing a little bit of the Spiro Avenue show to you in the form of the record holder for most appearances on the Spiro Avenue show, recently having passed Tony Paul. Good friend of mine, Chris Castellani from Barstool Sports. Happy to have him on the first iteration of Off the Curb. Chris, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. Nice to see you. You look beautiful, man. You get more handsome every time I see you, Chris. I gotta say, I hate your shirt, but well, it, 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 it took a minute. But yeah, I'm fine. I'm finally getting there, dog. But yeah, no, I, I, well, I appreciate it. Well, no, what's funny is I, I just threw this thing on because I was about 20 minutes ago. I'm here at home. I went up to my family and I said, I'm gonna be down in the, I'm gonna be in the basement around uh, 5:30. Uh, doing a show with uh, Justin, uh, and and the first thing my mom said is, "You don't have to go there, do you?" <laughs> no, because it's, we start in twenty minutes, so no. Um, and then she said, "All right, that's great, but you got to put on another shirt because I was wearing the same orange polo for about the last uh, thirty six hours following uh, opening days." So. Well, and with all your media appearances lately, like people are going to realize, like, "Hey, I, I saw this guy on this show yesterday wearing that same goddamn orange polo." But I don't know. I would take the grungy orange polo that hasn't been washed in a couple of weeks over what you're wearing. Honestly, but, uh, ha- okay, had the Tigers have won today, I'd still be wearing it, and I wouldn't have taken it off till we lost. But once. Uh, once Aaron Bummer got that final strikeout, that thing was getting pulled. Off. Oh man, they, they keep fighting today. And I, I yeah. want to start, I want to start here. I know you got a movie to get to because you got a, a cool job and, you know, I'm still sitting here in my construction zone, uh, doing this stuff for free while you're uh, driving Ferraris around town. But <laughs> I had, uh, you know, you're, you're usually, I think you're the most measured. Like I, I think you have like sort of the optimistic Detroit Tigers fans that are out there. And I think they would probably constitute the majority. I think there's people like you that are measured you know, optimistic, but not uh, a homer. Then you have me who I'm a huge fan. I'm biased to the highest degree, 
But at the same time, like I'm a little bit more cynical. I admit it. I've never hidden that. I got some flack yesterday for this tweet. I, I'm curious, I don't know if you saw it, but I'll throw it up for those that haven't and maybe you haven't. I'm curious for your read on this. This is my take on the pitching staff where it stands right now. Now, for five years, we've heard about, uh, oh, this pitching staff is loaded in the farm. Uh, it, it's the most robust pitching farm system in the history of the Detroit Tigers. And here's my take on it. I said, Eduardo Rodriguez is solid slash pretty good, but he can't be the best starting pitcher on a good team for all the guffawing we've done the last four years about this elite pitching on the Tigers farm. It's sad that nobody in this organization right now seems like a good bet to be a true ace. And then I threw in the caveat, you know, Jackson Joe may get there, but he's like 14 years old. So I can't even really, who knows? I mean, he's like five years away, potentially four or five years away. So, my position is I, people are immediately saying, you're telling me you don't like Tariq Skubal? It's not what it said. I, I just don't see a clear cut like this guy's verbal. I'm not even going to say DeGrom because DeGrom is like one of the five best pitchers ever potentially if he's healthy enough. Yeah, but, if, if, yeah. Yeah, if, that's a big if. But like yeah. even like Bieber, Verlander, like some, you know, I don't see like a multi-time Cy Young winner on here uh, on this roster or on, on the farm. And it's to me, it's disappointing because all of these resources were dumped into that position. And it seems like a lot of pretty good B minus B, maybe B plus guys. Am I just being a cynical asshole as usual? Or is do I is there some meat on that bone? Um, you're being 50% of a cynical asshole. I, I thought the I agreed with the first half of that tweet about Erod. And I like Erod, but I I think that um He's he's at best a number two in a rotation. Obviously, had a really good year in uh, nineteen, finished sixth for the Cy Young. But you know, I think any you know a exception, not the rule necessarily when it comes to a um a, you know a pitcher like that. I think now you just said like I don't see a multi-time Cy Young winner in this organization. Well, I mean, come on, I mean, how many how many organizations in the last two decades have developed multi-time Cy Young winners? Uh, Kershaw with you know obviously with the uh, with the Dodgers. Uh, but be and and Degrom, but I think that I get what you're saying, but pitching is the hardest position to develop. And I think, look, we're, it's still early in the game. I'm really big on Scooball. Like I think that, well, maybe not a multi-time Cy Young winner. Um, Scooball will get serious Cy Young consideration at some point soon. Thought he looked great in spring. Fastball command is better than it's been. You know, watch he'll give up eight runs tomorrow and I'll look like an idiot. But I, I think at the same time, his stuff, his stuff rules. And, and I think he will be the best pitcher on the staff. I mean, the the one comp I made about this Tigers rebuild, at least as it pertains to pitching, a couple of years ago was um the Mets. You you just brought up Jacob Degrom. You know, for uh man, wow, it's I feel old now. It's been about a decade since this was going on, but there was a time where oh, dude, the Mets they got Wheeler. And, and and Harvey and DeGrom and Syndergaard. This is going to be the greatest rotation ever. And they had Michael Fulmer, who ultimately, you know, they traded to the Tigers. But this is, I mean, this is going to be the, one of the great rotations of all time. That You know, the, the 90s Braves can, you know, kick rocks. This is going to be the greatest rotation we've seen in a while. And when you look at that rotation, had, that had three guys who had explosive, wipeout, strikeout stuff, the only one who really ever lived up to his potential was DeGrom. Now, Harvey was, you know, started the All-Star game in 13, was a revelation and made an All-Star team and, and pitched in the World Series. And Syndergaard was very good, didn't stay healthy. But, um, you know, he's pitching for the Angels now. It's a very difficult position to develop. And, and I talked, I don't think it was the last one, but I think it was the time before when I was on uh, your show where I said the basis of, the, of this rebuild, what they're trying to build around, um, is a little bit flawed because of how difficult it is to develop starting pitching. My prediction from the beginning between Mize Manning and Scooball is that you're going to have one guy who's going to be a perennial all-star stud, Cy Young, you know, vote getter. You're going to have one guy who's going to be really good for a while and then, you know, get injured, blow out his arm. And you're going to have one guy who's just not going to develop uh, the way we thought he would. And I think right now, when I look at the, the three-headed monster they have, um, I think that's kind of holding true. You know, my struggled a little bit today. Um, I still like him. I just think he's got to figure out a way to miss bats with the splitter. And, and if that comes along, then they're in good shape. So I'm, I'm with you 50%. And I know how frustrating it is because this rebuild's come along, you know, been coming along forever. But Mize is still 24, you know, and Scooball is still, I think, even a little bit younger. And Manning has been in the system forever, but he was drafted out of high school. These are still young pitchers. I mean, look at Dylan Cease today with the White Sox. He's been... This is his fourth year. 
at the major league level, it takes a lot of time. A progression in development is not a linear thing. You don't just get called up to the major leagues and get really good. Um, I think it'll take a little bit of time with these guys, but I'm, I'm still on board for the most part with the idea that this will be a really sound rotation over the next half decade or so. Well, I'm with you on the sound rotation, but the, the point is that who is the guy? I mean, that you went through the Mets. Yeah, the Mets actually legitimately had that excitement and anticipation. They went through the Tommy John Olympics. Like that whole staff got wiped out with multiple arm injuries. That's a mitigating factor. The Tigers don't have like that initial Mets period where people like you and I were like, holy shit, this is 1995 Braves era. We don't have that. So that, I, I'm never going to blame in, you know injuries like that happens. Like if you set up for a roster and guys get hurt, that happens. No one can control that. Uh, the Tigers don't really have that. And I'm going to hit you with the the Owen Wilson and Wedding Crashers thing with Vince Vaughn. Like as far as Casey Mize, we ain't that young. He ain't that young, Chris. He's turning 25 in like two weeks. He was the first overall pick. 20, 25 is pretty young. 25 is pretty young, man. Not not saying it's old, but I'm sorry. Verlander was already showing signs. Holy shit. This guy's going to be a stud okay, at 23. Okay, yes. So we're a couple years behind schedule. We're literally talking about like the best arm of the last like two decades. Like Justin Verlander is a very like 1% of the top 1% of great arms ever. Like that's not, that's not fair. I'm sorry. And like, I'll bounce back. You bring up Verlander. How long did it take Max Scherzer? Max Scherzer got sent down three years into his career. And guess what? It, for a, you know, half a decade, the best pitcher in baseball. Like I, I, I get what you're saying, but the Verlanders, the Kershaw's, the Walker Bueller's of the world, that's a really, that's a, a very much a rarity when it comes to starting pitching development. I mean, look, look who started opening day for the White Sox yesterday. Lucas Giolito in 2018 was the worst pitcher in baseball. He was Terry at a six ERA. And people thought, oh, this guy's going to be a bust. Started opening day, got Cy Young both through a no-hitter. I get what you're saying. And dude, as a fan, it's frustrating. You want to see him pop. You want to see him become, you want to see Generation K, right? You want to see three guys who are going to be striking out 250 a year, putting up sub three ERAs. And there will be a moment, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to just carry water. There will be a moment in which I'm going to say, I'm, I'm not sure. And I'll, 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 be, be straight with you here. I have serious concerns about Matt Manning. He hasn't started a game in year two yet, but I'm unimpressed by how so-so his stuff looks considering how long he's been in the system. But, I mean, it's it, it's game two of 162-game season. I think we're in overreaction theater here when it comes to Mize. Mize had a good rookie season a year ago, and he left one bad pitch over the plate to Grandal, and, and, and he got crushed. But I think, to answer your question earlier, who's the guy? I think Scooball is the guy. Now, if Scooball kind of, you know, regrets to, you know, or reverses to the mean and ends up kind of as a middle of the road guy, then I'm with you. But I think the jury is still very much out on these guys before we can kind of, you know, panic a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I mean, you mentioned Max Scherzer being sent down, which obviously happened famously here. But if you look at the guy's numbers and what he was doing, like right before he came over from Washington, there were the signs that he was going to be really good. He was striking out at the second highest rate in the National League before he even got here. He went through a horrible like six, seven weeks and then got sent down and then never looked back when he came back. So I don't know if that's a sign of a guy like, oh, look, he he, he wasn't even a late bloomer. Like he bloomed. He sucked for two months and then he kind of rebloomed. I don't know. I, I, I get what you're saying of, oh, it's Verlander. You're asking for a lot. I get that. But if you're using top 10 picks year after year and we keep hearing how great these guys are, I need more than three or four Mark Molders. And I liked Mark Molder. Good Mission State Spartan. I use one of my favorite players in those he's early days. He's pretty damn good. He's a top five Cy Young vote getter for, for a minute there. And, uh, yeah, yeah, but the average, I mean, I didn't look it up, but the average like Mark Molder year in that five-year stretch was uh, he had one year where he went way up. But other than that, it was like, 358 ERA, 360. I just, I wish this team had one hammer. And which brings me to my next point. If we don't have that, and it might be Scooble, I don't know. I, I hope I'm wrong about this stuff. I don't think any of them are good bet. But if it doesn't happen in the history of this league, it's not impossible, but very, very difficult to win at the highest level, meaning pennants and World Series, without at least one guy like that. Most yeah. of these teams have two, sometimes three. If we don't get that in house, do we have any confidence that Chris Illich is going to spend to get that? We saw what they did with Carlos Correa. Look, I'm happy with the outcome. I actually think 
Carlos Correa is kind of kind of overrated for the, for the money. But just the dollar signs, Chris Illich made it clear. Alvila, this isn't like reporting. Alvila told the media like that yeah, three hundred million. That's that's not happening. Like yeah. that, they're transparent about that. Well, guess what? If if a Garrett Cole type guy hits the market again, Max Scherzer just did hit the market. I mean, an older guy, different example. But those guys get thirty five million dollars a year. So I I don't I just I have concerns. If we don't see one in-house, and I don't, and we don't think Chris Illich is going to spend, I don't. Not at that level. I don't know. I I, I just – I don't see it. I, I hope I hope you're right, and Scooble becomes, you know, the Kershaw 2.0. I'm just – I'm a skeptic, though, but uh, we'll see, I guess. The, um, the the start today from Casey Mize was – I'm sorry. That wasn't even a factor. I've been a Mize skeptic for like a year now uh, going back. It, the, have you read the analytical stuff on this guy? The analytics community hate him i mean his his, his fit was quite he's not a good okay for a year and a half into his career i'm not counting 2020 that's that i'm wiping everything from that season out i'm fine with that yeah but but um well he's not good analytically because the fit is low um he gave up a fair number of home runs and he doesn't miss a lot of bats those guys do not grade out well uh, to be good analytical analytical pitchers i I think he, and I like Mize, and I think Mize will be good. I think his floor is high. Like, I don't see him being a guy who three years from, he's not Daniel Norris. Like, he's not a guy who three years from now is going to be a pitch and relief in garbage time for a team. Like, I think that he'll be a consistent, you know, knock on wood, pending health, a consistent major league pitcher. I think that the reason he went number one overall was, as I just mentioned, the floor is high. I think that uh, at worst, he's a number three in a rotation. Um and the reason he went number one overall was that he was really polished for a guy coming out of college. He had four pitches that he could consistently throw for strikes. I think that even the Tigers have been, they won't admit it, even the Tigers have been a little bit surprised by the fact that that splitter, which many people believed was going to be this next great wipeout pitch in baseball, you know, the the Felix Hernandez changeup, the, you know, the Pedro changeup, the Kershaw curveball. Um, has not come along the way they expected it to. I think last year he got so kind of in love with the fact that, you know, he was throwing the slider for strikes that he got away from the splitter. Um, I said it in my video today, and I I, I looked it up. I, I brought up uh, Walker Bueller, I, th- I think, um, earlier. But that works, pitching for contact, trying to be economical. I think that's great. In fact, I actually think sometimes guys who are, you know, strikeout guys can sometimes be overrated. I want guys who pitch. Don't give me that five-inning, one-run pussy shit. I want a guy who can actually go deep in a game. So I think that's great. But I also think that um, when you look at the advanced analytics and when you look at what he does late in games, second, third time through the order, um, the reason why he struggles is because um, balls get put in play and bad things can happen when balls uh, get put in play. An eight-something OPS uh, third time through the order. Uh, last year uh, against uh, opposing teams. And you look at the Garrett Coles, the Robbie Rays, the Walker Buellers of the world who get better the deeper uh, they go into games, the more times they face the lineup because they can really strike guys out. I think that will be his downfall. Mize had an, I think like a six ERA in the fifth inning. The big reason for that is that's when you're facing the order the third time. And if you're not making guys swing and miss, uh, it's going to create problems. I like them. I don't, I've accepted the fact that the number one ace, um, Verlander 2.0, that people expected when they drafted him out of Auburn, I don't think that will ever be the guy, um, which would really bother me if I didn't feel like they may have, they may have that guy uh, with Scooball. You know, I like him. I think he's going to do good things here. I, I think that he's very even keel, has the potential to be a really good postseason pitcher. But um, the concerns are legitimate. I, I think that, analytically, I don't pay a ton of attention to that because he's so early in his career. If a year from now, the numbers are the same, then I'll be a little bit more concerned. But we're talking about one start into essentially year two for him. I'm a little bit more of a strikeout guy, I got to say, because the best guys in the world have games where they're off and they're putting guys on the base pass. I liked when Verlander could have an off night and still give up one run. You know, his his whip that night might be a disaster, but you're, he could strike his okay, way out you're of right. it. You're right, but Verlander knew how to pitch. And you th- that was Verlander was the master of that, where he would be 50 pitches in two innings, and you'd go, oh my God. And then you'd look up at seven innings, two earned with, with yep. five strikeouts. I just, I know that you look at the best pitchers in baseball, Corbin Burns, Scherzer, DeGrom, they strike out a bunch of guys, but there's also the Matt Boyds of the world, who we've seen, who everyone, oh, ugh, 
2019 when people are like, oh, you got to keep, you can't trade him. He's going to strike out 250 batters. He's got a plus like four and a half ERA. He's leaving a million pitches over the plate. I don't care how many guys he strikes out. Like I do think sometimes, rare occasions, sometimes that can be a little bit overblown. Like you look at Fulmer's first year when he was dominant and, you know, had basically kind of saved that season in 2016. Not the best strikeout numbers, but he put up like 22 consecutive scoreless innings. He was going deep into games. I blew his arm out because of it. But I, I do think to a certain extent, and I want I want guys who miss bats, to a certain extent that can be a tad overblown. Well, what was overblown was the uh, scouting on that aforementioned splitter on Casey Mize. Keith Law said that before the draft, and I, I'm not shitting on Keith. This was sort of the common scouting opinion. Yeah. Keith Law said that that pitch going into the draft, like right before the draft, was the best single pitch, not only in that draft, but potentially in the last three drafts. Like just not that he was the best prospect, yeah. or the best pitcher, but the best individual just pitch. It, Where it, that went, I mean. It I, makes me wonder, though, if that's a scouting issue or a Mize issue. Like I think, I, I don't know if that, I really do, because I remember watching him at Auburn, like, it was electric. That was a pitch that had a high swinging strike rate. So I do wonder if that, if there's some, like, mental block. But it's it's bizarre to me, because he, he he did, objectively speaking, and forget the advanced analytics, have a good rookie season. Like, 371 ERA, you know, pitched 150 innings. And yet, the only start in which I felt like his splitter was working was the second start he had against Houston, which was <laughs> almost a year ago. Uh, at this point, you know, that was a uh, second start in a 30 game or 30 start season. So I think it, I think it's more so him. And even he's admitted to that. He said it, he thought it felt good today. Got to strike out with it in the first inning. But after that, um, yeah, that's going to be that's going to be the X factor with him going forward. It's got to be. I don't know. Maybe they can put an Auburn hat on the guy because you look up. They were all over Twitter, like the the little clips of his splitter and how much it would dive on guys. I don't know where that went. I don't know if we're going to see that, but just, you know, I know you got a movie to catch, so we'll try to keep it moving. Your general feel here, I'm kind of bullish on this team, honestly. A.J. Hinch is a big part of that, but I think they actually have a chance to make noise to where we're in, I don't know, early August, late July, and we're like, oh, shit, they're three or four games back in the last spot there, especially with the expanded playoffs. I feel, cynicism aside, like pretty good about this team. Where are you at right now? Like, what are you thinking? You know, I, I, my prediction uh, on, you know, on my show was 83 and 79. And I think there were some people who said, man, that's, that's low. Like you're, you know, the Tigers guy, but with the expanded postseason, we're, there's going to be an 86 win team in October, most likely. And so that means the Tigers will be three games back, likely playing meaningful baseball. Um, They got a lot better. They did. And I know, look, you and I both want, to see in a in a no salary cap sport unlimited money being thrown at people and i i, I hate doing this i really do because he drives me nuts but like only uh, in terms of chris illich but only three other teams spent more money than the tigers did one was the dodgers in a primary you know that was the freeman contract okay they have the highest payroll in baseball the other was the mets who just throw money at people like it's hotcakes like like you know i don't know if that's gonna work they have you know they Scherzer got is a little bit banged up and DeGrom's injured. You know, they threw money at Marte and Canna. Like, we'll see. Lindor had a really bad first year. And I think uh, after that was the Rangers, and that's not going to work. They don't have any pitching. The Blue Jays are, you know, dog walking them right now. I mean, in the first series of the year. So after that, it's Detroit who, who spent the most money in this most recent offseason. It's a much better team. I loved the Meadows trade. I was stunned by that. I talked about it on my show. I was, I was scratching my head. That was a bizarre move, very out of, no pun intended, out of left field for Alavila, out of left field for Chris Illich. Um, I think he's going to make this team way better. What worries me is the injuries to the bullpen. Um, Chafin, Funkhauser, Cisnero, those are three guys you were trying to rely on, uh, all three on the IL. Palmer had velocity, uh, you know, his velocity dipped in spring. Look great today. I think that was just an example of a, of a veteran knowing his body and knowing what works for him. So, um, I, I have 83 and 79. I think the White Sox are far and away the best team in this division. Um, but I do think there is a certain amount of undervaluing with the Tigers that I've seen over unders. I've seen this team as low as like 65 wins. Like, 
what game are you watching? Like, are you aware of who their manager is and what they were able to do last year? Like I, I talked about it when I was on your show last time, which was like that last year's team roster wise. And just in terms of talent and, and you take into account Mize and Scooball having their innings monitored as well. That was a 65 win team that won 77 games and yeah. they, got, and they got better. So like, what's to make you think that they're not going to do something similar uh, this season? The division also, and this is a big part of it, outside of the White Sox, nobody scares me. I know Cleveland has been like the first forever now, it seems. That offense stinks. Once you get past J-Ram, they got nothing. I know they develop pitching well. The Twins have a very good lineup that's going to, you know, I'm sure Correa will kill us and Buxton will kill us. But after Sonny Gray, I don't trust any of their pitchers. Um, You know, the Royals, again, have two players who murder us. No pitching. I mean, Brady Singer might come along, but that's it. Um, I, I think that this is a team that will will surprise people more than they won't. I th- I talked about. It. I I think the culture's there. I think Hinch is the man. I think he's the best manager in baseball. But even beyond that, I mean, opening day was a microcosm of what this era has been so far. Where you pull Erod out of the game after four, I was thinking, all right, here seven one seven two, you know, final score. Drew Hutchison like. Me and him worked at a gas station together and he pitched two scoreless innings like, you know, the other day against, you know, on opening day against, uh, against the, um, uh, against the White Sox. Like those are the kind of, you, you weather the storm a little bit. Riley Green comes back. Chafin comes back. Good things could happen. Yeah. I mean, you, you have them at 83 wins and people are saying, oh, that's pessimistic. 83 wins worked out just fine for the 06 Cardinals who pounded us in the world series. They were at 83 and 79 too. <laughs> right, but- uh, yeah. And, from where they have come from, 83 wins. I, I'm like right with you. I'm like, they're going to yeah. be somewhere between 79 and 82. Like I'm kind of right in that range. And I, I don't think that's bad for where they've come from. I'm not going to be like disappointed if they, if they go 83 and 79, they have a chance to be in the type of contention we're talking about, even if they don't sneak into the back door with the expansion. But I, I think that, yeah, that, that'd be pretty good. Like I'd be fine with that. And I, I don't know. I, I think, People underestimate Hinch. I, I get the same guy chirps me every day on Twitter when I say anything nice about AJ Hinch. Managers don't matter. Yeah, I was that guy too. AJ Hinch actually does. He's the exception to the rule. I'm not going to get into all the reasons why. He just is. He he has enveloped his his soul and his ethos has enveloped every orify of, of that organization, mm-hmm. and it matters. And I'm sorry. What we saw today, they're down five to two against the White Sox in the ninth. The, they just keep fighting. We saw this all year last year. Even they could be down. They look it up. They, 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 they'd be down six, one, seven, one in the ninth last year. And they would cut it to like seven, five and then lose. But that matters. And that's worth a couple of wins a year. It's not, Oh, we're Detroit. We fight hard. I love that. It, it's, I mean, that's maybe part of it, but it actually does lead to wins because you're not going to win all those games or even most of those games. But you can steal three or four, three, four, five, six wins if you have a team that plays that way. And I'm sorry, not every team plays that way. I I am a degenerate gambler of baseball, among other sports. I have been in those situations where I'm on a team that's down seven one, and I'm watching the seventh inning. They're throwing away at bats like that. That is a thing. The Tigers don't do that. They fight you to the last out. It's going to make it fun. And that's what I tweeted today. I'm just like, like, I don't know how good they're going to be, but I know they're going to be fun. Like that's like, they're going to be in a heavy majority, like every team, even the best team, you know, the 98 Yankees lost a few 10 to two games, but I do think for the most part, there's not going to be a lot of games this year where we're going to get to the fifth inning and be like, all right, yeah, this thing's done. And, and, and you just brought it up. Like, like I, I want them to make the playoffs. Everybody does. But at the same time with, you know, I, 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 on my show, I, I did a segment about this where I'm like, dude, after 19, when they lost 114 games internally, I remember thinking it's at least five years until we're talking playoffs again. They're so far behind the eight ball. I don't care how well they draft. You can get, if Spencer Torkelson turns out to be Albert Pujols, I, that's great, but you got a ways to go before you're really like getting the ball rolling. The fact that like two, two and a half years now removed from that season. We're on opening day or now two games into the season talking about they got a shot. I I hate to compliment the administration because I feel like they're they're now filling up a hole that they dug for themselves, but I think that the hinge hire completely 
change the landscape and the outlook of you know the organization regarding how we view them uh, going forward. And it's going to make hopefully for a fun season. Yeah, AJ Hinch fell into their lap, but I guess to their credit, they moved their hands out of the way and let him land. Like, I mean, it, they were the did. first people to call him. I, I mean, I, I, you know, it's it's a popular thing. I and I, I would love to. I've never talked to AJ. I would love to ask him that question at least in private and be like, you know, I mean, there's no way he doesn't take the White Sox job. Oh, he wanted the Chicago job. There there's were reports no to that. Yeah, you know, I, so I, it was. It's a stroke of luck, but they they had a lot of bad luck too. Look, I mean, we so saw it happen. I, you know, I'm not going to apologize. Yeah, yeah, we saw it happen from 03 to 06, where they turned it around as the most extreme way possible. The 03 Tigers team is the worst baseball team ever. Sorry, Mets that yeah. lost one more game. They were an expansion team. That doesn't really count. And three years later, they were not just in the World Series, but prohibitive favorites in the World Series. We'll just ignore what happened. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I feel good about where they're at. I will say I'm with you on the bullpen. My two favorite streaks in all Detroit sports that no one really talks about, especially the Tigers one. The Tigers have never had since 2006 a uh, anything other than a bottom 10 bullpen. So they, in terms of ERA, they have had a bottom 10 bullpen ERA every single year since 06, which is almost impossible because relievers, you have guys that suck for four years and then they'll have like a two ERA for a year. It's like, it's so random. Bullpens are constantly yeah. like this team has the second best bullpen in baseball. The next year, they're 24th. How do you not just accidentally land one year? Fall, not even you good good. And, and that's what I, I, I brought that up too. I, I'm also not, I'm not mad at the current regime for this. Like I, I liked the pen coming into the year. Like you looked at, the way Falmer, Soto, Funk, Cisnero all pitched a year ago, and then you add Chafin to that, I was like, dude, this pen might be pretty good. You could run it back a million times. You know, three guys getting injured and guys, you know, velo dropping. That's, yeah, that is the most, I would say in sports, in all of sports, that's the most difficult group to predict. In, like, in, across all the four major sports is bullpens. Because I remember, uh, you know, the name redacted, and they're now the Guardians, when um, in 17, when they had Cody Allen and Andrew Miller and Dan Otero, and they were just rolling. They had the best bullpen in baseball. Went from the best bullpen ERA to the worst in a year with the same pitchers. They're, but relievers are fragile. That's an impossible, uh, you know, unit to predict. And, um, yeah, that was uh, – so I'm, I'm with you there that they couldn't fall into one, hopefully. Hopefully they do at some point uh, here soon. But, what, but that's kind of what I'm saying, though. What you're saying is why it's so impossibly impressive that they haven't stumbled right. into not even a good bullpen, the 14th best, the 17th yeah. best. How does that not happen? But And the other one is obviously much more frequently cited, the Lions not having a top half of the league rushing attack once since Barry retired in 98. I don't know how that happens, but the Tigers thing, I'm used to the bad bullpen. I'm like accustomed to that. If they get everything else in line and they're at least semi-functional back there, they'll be fine. But I'm going to let you get to your your uh, Kaboom Michael Bay movie. I haven't even seen a trailer for that. Is that the ambulance thing? Yes. You're you're, you're the least enthused moviegoer since my wife dragged me to the first Twilight movie. I wanted to <laughs> slip my wrist. It was so bad. I had 13-year-old girls kicking the back of my seat. That was bad, but you, you, you're not enthused for the Michael Bay movie tonight, but uh, it's baseball season. You know, I, I'm, that, that's, that's what's been on my mind the last, uh, the last few weeks for sure. But no, I mean, you know, I've actually heard some pretty good things. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I go, I come into everything with, open, with an open mind. We'll talk a little more barstool next time. I, I want to let you go for your sake, not mine, but uh, I, do, I got time. If you want to do it right here, I'll, I'll do it right now. I had just, I just had one question um, and you can take the four as long as you want. I don't know your, your show, your show time. I'm eager for Barstool Detroit, like actually to come here. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Is that something that like you're aware of? Like, do you, do you have a role in that? Is that something that has been mentioned to you at any point? Like um, early on, it was talked about. Uh, I can't speak on it beyond that. I know that I, okay. I am in control. The, the thing that I think goes overlooked about uh, Barstool is that you see the content people you see Dave and big cat and KFC and fights and you know, you know, the, the, the money beats, but it is a massive, massive machine filled with a lot of people who work their butts off behind the scenes in front of the camera, behind the camera. I mean, it's really impressive to watch. I am a very small cog in what is a really big machine. I know that I can control my content. I'm really proud of the work I've put out so far. I think the show has been awesome. Uh, my producer, Matt Hankel is 
the best thing that's ever happened to my content. The guy makes me look good all the time. And he got some great, hilarious footage from opening day yesterday that will be uploaded to YouTube here um, pretty soon. It's a long process and it's a process I'm willing to wait out. Um, and I completely understand that. I respect, uh, you know, how busy uh, the people above me are. And uh, I appreciate that. My dream is to one day have in Detroit or in Michigan what uh, is going on in Chicago right now with those guys. And I love those guys, and I think they're working their butts off. Um, so it's it, it will take time. Uh, I think that how successful my content is will dictate a lot of that. Uh, I'll say this so far has been well-received, and I appreciate the people who've been watching and listening. So um, it's going to be a minute. Uh, I think over the next over the next year or two, uh, those discussions hopefully will be had. But if they aren't, um, I'm really pleased and happy uh, to be working where I'm at. So that's but that's all that's all I can say uh, up to this point. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I know you're you're coming up pretty soon. What was it? May that Turnbull through the no hitter. You're coming up. I was on thinking one year. about that as I was driving home from um, uh, Anthony Broom. You know, my, my, my good good my buddy buddy in arms. Yeah, he's um. What coming home from his place um, today, I was thinking about that where we're almost at a year, um, which is time is such a weird thing because it feels like like one day, but also, you know, 10 years at the same time. Like I, I so much professionally and personally uh, has changed um, in that aspect. I, I think well, one other thing I know is I. The timing needs to be right and pretty soon Detroit sports as a whole is going to grow. And that was something that I, I said. I don't, I don't think it was you. I think it was either to Anthony or somebody else, which is like when I got hired, the timing for something like Barstool Detroit wasn't right. Cause all four of the teams were so bad. Like I'm sorry, I, it, it's coming alive now and that helps. And I hope that the day comes in which um, we can get the machine going and we can get the ball rolling. If it doesn't, uh, I'm grateful to be where I'm at. And uh, well, I love where I'm at. So. I mean, you definitely don't need it for your profile. Having, met up with you on the concourse of the Breslin center during the Michigan, Michigan state basketball game. Yeah. Uh, it, it's pretty wild. Like I, I did feel, I, I made the joke a little bit like Rod Tidwell and Jerry Maguire, like at the draft where everyone, <laughs> everyone just wants to talk to Kush. Like people kept coming up to you. I'm just trying to talk about Hunter Dickinson taking 73 shots in the first half with my good buddy, Chris, people kept coming up to you and, and talking to you. And there were, I got your uh, kind of like scraps a couple of times where people would talk your ear off for like a couple minutes. And then turn to me and be like, oh, yeah, you're you're Justin Spiro, right? Oh, cool, I think, man. I think they were a little bit nice. I think they were a little bit nicer than that, at least in that instance. They were they were they were some good people. But no, I mean, I I don't. Um, that's my favorite part of of the gig, though. And that's why, like, I. I don't know. I've, I've met some people, not Barstool people, the Barstool people have been awesome, but I've met people who are so like standoffish about like, I don't like being, you know, getting like get photo like if somebody wants to take a photo with you be nice take a photo with them like that's a really that's a real privilege to have to be able to say like hey i've seen you before and i mean you've known me in the early days we're coming up on 5 years now since we've known each other so like we've been around you know through central and the gas station the fact that there's people who are like hey, man i i've seen your stuff and i know who you are that's so cool and that's why yesterday i can't wait to see what matt puts together cuz i think we got some hilarious footage from uh yesterday for opening day. I, I, I had about three or four premature celebrations after the Javi uh, walk-off that wasn't and then was again. So, um, no, it's great, and I, uh, I appreciate it. I'm very humbled to be doing what I'm doing. I was uh, – I, I, we just crossed 50,000 on uh, social media, which is funny because three years ago I had a I – got, I got 10, and I was um, in East Lansing with a few buddies of mine acting like it was a big deal, and it's just – it's crazy how it's grown. Um, and But even beyond that, I mean, it's crazy how – you know, kinds the the people I, I've worked with at Barstool have been to me. So, you know, nothing nothing but gratitude. Yeah, you're a you're a beloved figure. I mean, being in East Lansing with the co-eds there, people were throwing their bras at you on the. Oh yeah, the totally. That's right. that's, that's, that's I, very on brand for Chris Castellano. No, I'm fine. Well, and then man, these were Michigan State girls too, not Michigan girls. So <laughs> no, these no, are absolutely yeah. not. No, you got yeah. Be. So yeah, you're a celebrity. Don't downplay it. I I got to tell you, like I'm gonna have to start hanging out with you in private because the public thing, I can't get in a word. Everyone wants to to give you a hug. And then maybe one in 10 will say, oh, yeah, I know you too, Justin. But I got to say, you deserve it, man. Like, this is something that isn't shocking to anybody that you ended up making it. It's just 
It was, and we it's, talked it's about sho- it's shocking to one guy, right? Okay, but if I were to, with your permission, one day, and we can, I'll clear it with you first. Go through like a single one of the thousand text messages I had with you where I was like, dude, like it just takes one day, one moment, one thing, one guy looking at you. You I I had those conversations. You were you were on it early. And I mean, like, you know, I doubt everything. But yes, and that's why I appreciate you. And that's why I'm I'm continuing. I I love, you know, coming on and and helping you out here, whether it's with off the curb or or Spiro Avenue is yes, you um, you caught on very, very early um, with that. And uh, you were. Hey. It worked out for you. You were more right than you weren't, man. I mean, you you were you were one of the first ones to uh to hit the bullseye. So I'll always I'll always appreciate that. Well, yeah, the bullseye was the size of Texas, man. That was not a hard shot to make. <laughs> I got I mean that that was uh, skipping a rock in a big big pond there, man. A, a, um, hanging hanging breaking ball over the heart of the plate that went four. Yeah, seriously, it was that was well. I don't know. That's a bad example. I was bad at t-ball, but yeah, for most people, that, that that'd be a good example. But uh, yeah, I'm happy for you. I love seeing what you're doing, and I, you know, we talked about it even before Barstool. That I'm a big fan of your movie content. I actually, I might like your movie stuff, like as much or more than the baseball stuff. And I love, I mean, I love both, but I love that. Like they're using that at Barstool. Like obviously they are. I've, uh, I've been a controversial. I, I love doing lights, camera, Barstool. I love those guys to death. I, I think they're hilarious. I think Jeff is so talented. Um, my undeniable cynicism, I think has shook some people. Um, but I, the one thing I've never done is lied to people like with my opinions. And uh, I love the stoolies. I love the, I love the fact that movie fans, especially, and especially in this age where movie theaters are kind of dying, seeing people be as passionate about uh, movies again has been um, really awesome. I'm also critical as shit. I, it's so weird to me because my like mainstay is sports, but I'm so much more optimistic when it comes to sports stuff than I am uh, with movies, but I enjoy, you know, I love and enjoy doing what I do. Well, the state of movies we talked about on my show, I think two shows ago, are just a mess. Uh, I mean, the the next movie that comes out that's like an A will be the first, an A on my scale will be the first one since Whiplash in 2014. We're coming up on uh, the 10 year anniversary of that. There's now, and I, I see a lot. It's well, like I'm not I, yeah, eight. Oh my God, you're right. Well, have you, dude, I got, I got to press you on it. Have you seen West Side Story? I haven't. I, you know, I, I, I got to. But even that would come with a little bit. It's not like original. So I almost that almost doesn't count. Like to me, okay. I, 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 there's built in. There's built in. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. But I need I need like a novel concept. The '90s were shitting them out. Yeah. I mean, Goodwill Hunting, aforementioned Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a million of them in the '97. I mean, anything Fincher touched, the Fight Club, right at the end of the decade. Yeah. Like there's we don't have. It's been eight years since we had a movie that I would give an A. There's some pretty good stuff, but. It sucks, man. I mean, that I would be if they, if they think you're a cynic, I would not be a fit at Barstool at all with that, at least with that show, because I'd be shitting on everything. I do. <laughs> I have often. I mean, I, I just I, I think I've said about eight times in the last five months after seeing a movie that this was the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Hyperbole, I guess. But I just I, I it's it's been funny where like last year, my bottom 10 of the year. Five of like five of the worst movies I've ever seen, it, like in my top ten worst of were like uh, the last two years. Like it was, I was you know. But I I do I think that at the same time it creates for good you know it leads to good content right like the you know being passionate about something and being you know fired up about something and being angry about something obviously gets people um excited. Like I was watching um the new Judd Apatow movie last weekend, uh, The Bubble, which is on Netflix, and I um was stunned. And I like Judd Apatow. I think Judd Apatow has made some really, I mean, you like, you like knocked up and 40 year old virgin. I mean, those oh, are big, great movies. Big, big fan. And it's the last time I texted um, Anthony about it or no, I talked to him when I was at his place. Cause the last time I saw a terrible, a movie that bad by a director that good was cats with Tom Hooper who directed the King speech. Like it was and to me and Anthony, that's a that's a trigger word for the two of us because we watched that and did a commentary track for it together. So we came out of that I, when I came out of the bar. I remember that was brutal. Yeah, did you see it? Oh, the, I refuse to see it. I, I don't. I'm a huge musical fan. I never even liked the musical. That's Andrew Lloyd Webber's worst contribution to the arts. Yeah, I, there's a there's a few that are like one outside of um. I, I've always been split on cats because I've appreciated the play, the movie. No, but um. <laughs> 
the the play just because it's like I've always figured to a certain way, and this bringing everything full circle here. Andrew Lloyd Webber is like almost the Michael Bay of uh, musicals, where when he's good, he's really good, but he's so maybe more Tim Burton, where he's so much more style than he is substance. Uh, now Tim Burton made Ed Wood, and you know, obviously some really great movies in the '90s, but I think um, there's there's two musicals to me that. Well, I acknowledge the contributions they made to you know, musical theater and you know, just to the to the medium. I've never been crazy about one was Cats. Now, the movie as a whole was substantial, like substantially worse than the original stage show. The other one is Rent. Well, I get what it did in the genre. And obviously, Jonathan Larson was a genius and you know, TikTok was great uh, telling his story. It's never crazy about Rent. It's all right. It's all right. Um, I think it just hit at the right time, but it's pretty dated in kind of some of its depictions of characters. I, I did not expect this to become a, a musical uh, breakdown. But uh, yeah, those are, those are the two that always stand out where I'm like, yeah, eh, it's all right. Yeah, I'm not a, not a huge Rent fan. Like, it's okay. I also think it's just depressing as fuck. Like, and it, like I can do depressing. Like, William Miz is pretty depressing in some parts, but like, it's yeah. so good. I like, well, please. The depress- story's depressing. It's the biggest tragedy, like, ever. Yeah. Like, um, well, it's Romeo and Juliet. Oh, for sure. No, I mean it's. I mean it made it made Team America a lot funnier. Yeah. <laughs> with the opening, the opening musical sequence of that movie. But uh, I'm with you. I'm with you for the most part. Yeah. Uh, come on, Gary, act. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, all right, man. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. I I want you to text me the review of that Michael Bay movie. I hope there's lots of like bombs going off and special effects and. Hope he spent seventy three million dollars on blowing some stuff up for your entertainment. Yeah, it's man. it's. It's not going to be the English patient. I can I can tell you that much in terms of, in terms of you know subtlety when it comes to his the the art form. But no, I'll I'll let you know how I feel about it. I'm actually I I give him crap because it's easy too, but I, it looks all right. I mean, I, there's Michael Bay movies I like quite a bit. I love the first Transformers. It's just you know, he, much like me when he's you know off his Ritalin, bad things have a tendency to happen. But we'll see we'll see what happens with it. Yeah, well, good luck with that, man. I do want the review. Uh, next time I have you on at some point down the road, we'll, we'll talk about Batman. Cause I want to flesh that out a little more. We talked briefly on the phone, For but sure. uh, that'll be we a different, gotta, we gotta, different we day. We talk about the Pattinson redemption arc going forward. That's he, he did a good job. The writers failed him in the parts. I didn't like him, but it wasn't a Pattinson issue. I admit it. I admit it. I'm a you man were, of my were, word. You were very fair. We talked on the phone about it. you were very fair with your assessment. Even the things I disagreed with, I was appreciative of the fact that it would have been very easy for you to just, to just troll. You didn't, you, you were, you were, you were, and, and ultimately we ended up giving almost identical ratings to, I think you gave it what? Eight, three, 8.3. I gave it an 8.5. Yeah. Negligible yeah. difference. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We were, you know, my, minute uh, details we might've disagreed on. So yeah, appreciate you having me, buddy. Uh, anytime, man. Uh, have a good night. Good luck to you with everything. I following your career as always, even as you've blown up, I'm, I'm still there. I'm just uh, in a more crowded room of your fans these days, but my, for my money, you're the best at what you do. Uh, certainly in this tiger space and uh, you know the movie, I listen to six different movie podcasts. You're my favorite movie guy. So you're, you're the best in two avenues. No pun intended. It's, it's great to have you, man. And continued success to you. Of course, buddy. Talk real soon, man. See you later. I'll see you, Chris. All right, Ben, we can let Mr. Uh, Chris go. I'll finish here. I, I really wanted to hit this briefly on the way out. We did run along with Chris, which I was happy. I didn't realize he had that much time to give me, frankly. But And this show will normally be shorter. But I, I have to hit this, this Chris Illich thing just on my way out the door. Bob Wojanowski, who gets a lot of shit, is one of the best journalists in the city. I mean, it's from a pure technical writing standpoint, I mean, he is – Maybe take journalists out because he's more of a columnist, obviously, but just writer. He's a fantastic writer. I have broken bread with Bob Wojnarowski. I like him as a person. He blew one thing with this sit-down interview he did with Tiger's owner Chris Illich a couple of days ago. I mean, it was a a voluminous interview. There was a, a million things you could hit. There was one part that really kind of irked me where Wojo asked Chris Illich, "Hey, that." District Detroit thing. Um, what's the deal with that? I'm happy Wojo asked. I give him credit for that. But Chris Illich's response not getting lit on fire in that moment is just flabbergasting. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So Wojo is pressing Chris Illich on this District Detroit thing. Now, quick refresher. Chris Illich sat before the Detroit City Council and said, if you give me $325 million in city funds to get my arena, here's what I'm going to give you. It was like Lyle Langley in the Simpsons with the monorail. 
beautiful renderings. We've all seen them before. I, the artist who drew these things probably made six figures for the project. It, it was bejeweled. If you give me that pile of cash, this is what I'll deliver. They said yes, gave them the money. They built the arena and they didn't build anything. This has been going on. This was supposed to break ground the District Detroit, the area around Little Caesars Arena in 2015. So the arena opened in 17. The surrounding district was supposed to open simultaneously. And they were going to expand on it. It was never going to be done in 2017. But some version of a, an early version was supposed to with the arena open in 2017. We are seven years past when they were supposed to break ground on this and they haven't done one thing. So Wojo, to his credit, asked Chris Illich about this in their one-on-one sit-down at Comerica Park. And this was the response from Tigers owner Chris Illich. Certainly, the pandemic has changed things. I laid out a vision of what we wanted to do in the District of Detroit and a couple partnerships didn't work out. That set us back. But what are you going to do? You're going to throw in the towel? We're going to persevere and we're going to build it even better than what we were planning before. Chris Illich is invoking the pandemic as the only listed reason why the District of Detroit didn't happen. That was the first thing out of his mouth. The answer speaks for itself. There's no, oh, it was one of seven factors. It's the reason. Even had it been listed as one of the seven reasons and had some other factors in there for why it didn't happen. Keep in mind, he's being asked why it didn't happen. What's going on? It wasn't even erroneously included on a list of valid reasons. It was the whole thing. But even if it had been, it, it doesn't have a leg to stand on even in a pie breaking down the reasons. It would be erroneous then. It's especially egregious to say it entirely is on the pandemic. And that's what his response indicates. This does not take uh, any type of genius level IQ to ascertain the truth and to ascertain how ridiculous that response was. COVID-19 was end of 2019, first documented case at the end of the year in December over in China. The first one here, January 2020. And the first famous one, obviously, Rudy Gobert with the Jazz. The District Detroit promise was made not a month or two before that. The promise to build the District Detroit was made conditional on the money like six, seven, eight years before the arena that was supposed to open with the District of Detroit opened almost three years before COVID-19 even hatched in this country. So it's, the fact, like, to, to blame, I don't know if Chris Illich is indicating that the virus hopped in a DeLorean and traveled forward and back in time to manipulate the situation somehow to ambush and sabotage the District of Detroit project, but... I don't know. I I don't know what to make of that. That's like a preposterous. It it doesn't make sense. It's a preposterous statement to make. And the fact that Wojo went right into like, uh, okay, uh, how's the team looking this year thing after that or whatever it was, it was irrelevant as a follow-up was disappointing because that was a great opportunity. It was the easiest thing ever. Like, what do you mean the pandemic? HBO came out with a, a full documentary with real sports, Brian couple in 2019. A year before COVID came out, they made a documentary on the lie of the District of Detroit. I, I just, I couldn't believe that. I was disappointed in Wojo there because he had a really, I mean, Chris Illich isn't out and about every day. He doesn't grant a lot of press access. It's very limited, usually very controlled. Bob Wojanowski was sitting knee to knee with the guy for like an hour and had all the time in the world. He asked him 37 other questions. I, I just, I was disappointed in that. And the end though, this was interesting. Ben, if you can throw that quote back up, because this part was interesting to me. He says, hey, what are you going to do? You're going to throw in the towel. The quote here, we're going to persevere and we're going to build it even better than what we were planning before. That part is interesting. So he has essentially doubled down on the District of Detroit promise and has said that he's going to make it even better than their original plans. Now, their original plans, just Google District Detroit artist renderings. It looks like the merry old land of Oz in the city of Detroit. The fact that he's doubling down not only on matching that plan, but somehow surpassing it. I was actually fascinated by that. Now, I don't believe a word of that. <laughs> but the fact that he's like, doubling down and saying, hey, don't worry, it's still going to happen. It's going to be even better than you thought it was before. I mean, holy L. Ron Hubbard Scientology, what kind of an explanation was that?
when's that happening? Can I get a timeline? I just, I couldn't believe that. <laughs> We've all beaten the district of Detroit thing to death. I had to address that because it's new information. It's preposterous as an explanation. And the fact that this promise has been renewed, I can't believe nobody talked about it. I'm like the only one that talked about that second part in particular, where he's still saying it's going to happen. And it's going to be even more impressive than we thought it was going to be before. Chris Illich, um, look, he had a B-plus offseason. Everyone uh, doing cartwheels because he approved the Meadows trade. This payroll is still like 18th or 19th in the league. Until we're like top 10 or top 12, I'm not throwing roses at the guy's feet. But to his credit, he did have a good offseason. You can't say he, he surpassed what I thought they would do. So I give him credit for that, but uh, I, I want my little – $7 latte at that District Detroit Cafe, man. So get, get cracking on that. I'm not going to hold my breath, but I appreciate you guys watching. We're going to be kind of popping in and out while the studio is under construction. And uh, this will normally be kind of quick take 15, 20 minute things, just reacting to things and not Tony Dombrowski style where I'm like just screaming the same three things over and over again and, and making sure as many uh, uh, people as possible are watching me. If I happen to be out in public, like, we actually are going to talk about stuff and not just say the same three things over and over again. But like, I, I do want to have access to be able to kind of hop in and, and respond to things like this Chris Hilch thing, which was just preposterous. So we'll be around and appreciate uh, again, Chris joining us and uh, rotating people through. And we can't wait to get the real show back. Hopefully as soon as possible, tell those goddamn building inspectors to hurry up. Uh, we got Ben who's sitting in my home as usual, but on a different level of the house with his headphones. I don't know if he's paying attention to me or if he's, you know, like playing a, a video game over there, what he's doing. But uh, Ben really put this whole thing together on the fly. appreciate him and appreciate you guys. So hang in there with us. We'll be back with the full, beautiful show uh, pretty soon, certainly by this summer. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been great to have you. And we'll be back. We'll be back soon. Thanks. This was Off the Curve, episode one. Thank you.